The flight deck is made possible by the generous donors supporting the Museum of Flight. You can support this podcast and the Museum of Flight's other initiatives across the United States and the world by visiting museumofflight.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I am your host, Sean Mobley. Now, I am a huge fan of my local library, and today I am very excited to share a conversation with Britta Barrett and Emily Culkins, librarians for our local King County Library System, who are also hosts of KCLS's new podcast, The Desk Set. They stopped by the museum to give our listeners some recommendations of nonfiction and fiction books and graphic novels from the worlds of aviation and space. Great reads for anyone from a student on vacation getting ready for their summer reading list to adults looking to learn more about history or just lose themselves in a wonderful story. Well, Emily and Britta from the King County Library System, thank you both so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having us. Great to be here. Big, big fan of our libraries, King County Library. People don't realize it's one of the most circulating library systems in in the country. It is, yeah. It's the top circulating for um, ebooks and downloads, the top circulating library in the country for seven or eight years running, I think. You came today with some recommendations for our listeners of excellent stories, fiction and nonfiction, that uh, are inspired by the world of aerospace and aviation. Yeah, so I'll start. Uh, since mine are primarily uh, historical picks, um, I'm actually a member of the Museum of Flight, and probably my personal favorite area is the Personal Courage Gallery that has the World War One and World War II aircraft. Uh, it's just so amazing to me when you see those planes that people got in them and flew them thousands <laughs> of feet above the ground. They just don't look like they could could withstand it. So I think the early days of flight are really a natural fit for great stories. There's so much like inherent risk and human ingenuity and bravery. And um, so the, the things that I picked are all kind of set in those earlier days of aviation. Um, my first pick is a memoir by a woman named Burl Markham. It's called West with the Night. And she was this incredible figure who was a bush pilot in um, British colonial Kenya. And she's actually the first person to fly east to west across the Atlantic Ocean, which she did in 1936. So the kinds of planes that they were flying were... <laughs> Um, that her recounting of that is really incredible. She's like trying to keep the ice out of the fuel tanks and off of the windshield of the plane and she, it's freezing cold and she actually ended up crash landing in Newfoundland uh, because her fuel tanks froze up but she she made it. She landed the plane and she survived and so she's the first person to do that. And then Marmar has that story and it has these incredible stories about growing up in colonial Africa and flying. You know, she would have to go out and look for other bush pilots who had lost their planes and they didn't have a ton of um, navigational tools. They were flying on landmarks and maps primarily. And it's a really wonderful memoir. And um, the book version, the edition that we have in the library has a quote from Hemingway on the front of it where he talks about what a great writer she was. And he was not fond of her as a person, but he really, really loved the memoir. So That's a nice pull quote to put on the cover of the book from <laughs> Ernest Hemingway. Yes, they left out the... Um, 
the unmentionable thing that he said about her, but they did. They left in the part um, where he talks about what a great writer she was, that she was writing circles around all of these other primarily men. Um, so my next pick is a graphic novel uh, by Garth Ennis. It's called Night Witches. So until I read this, which was pretty recently, uh, this is a part of history that I knew nothing about. In World War II, and you probably know this, um, both sides or all sides of the war had women sort of involved in auxiliary roles. But the Soviet army was actually, actually had women flying combat missions. So they this graphic novel is fictional, but it's based on the story of these Russian women who were flying – at night only, and were bombing, ger- invading German troops. And uh, it's incredible because they faced tons of sexism, of course, and um, they were flying sort of the crappy leftover planes. So the thing that's cool about a graphic novel is you get to see, you get the visual on the plane. So they're flying these crummy little biplanes with open cockpits. And the planes were so old and that they were really loud. So the first time that they go out, the Germans hear them coming, and they're basically decimated uh, by return, you know, fire from the German side. So they realize that what they would have to do is glide in. So they would fly way up, and then turn off the engine, and in only flying at night. Again, like no navigational tools. They're flying on landmarks essentially. Glide in, drop their bombs, start their engines up, and try and get out of there as fast as they can. So it's just, again, when I think about those planes that you see in the personal courage wing, you just can't imagine taking that up, much less doing it at night. I will say it's very violent because it's a graphic novel. That violence is very visceral, and it definitely is not, uh, it's very open about what happens to women who are captured by uh, opposing armies. And my last pick um, for the more historical side of things is one of my favorite novels of all time. Poor Britta's probably heard me talk about this a bunch. It's a novel called Codename Verity, and it's about two um, young British women who start out serving in the WAAF, which is the Women's Auxiliary Air Force, and the ATA, which is the Air Transport Auxiliary, during World War II. So basically they're doing sort of support for the RAF. Um, One of them is a mechanic who ends up being a radar expert. So radar's brand new, and she talks sort of about learning about how to use radar, and then she eventually gets to become a pilot. And the other one is Queenie, who's a wireless operator. So when the book opens, they have been shot down over Nazi-occupied France, and they've been separated, and one of them has been captured by the Nazis. So the book sort of then goes back and, and tells the story of how these young women ended up becoming friends and how they ended up in this plane over Nazi-occupied France. Um, and the thing that I – there's so much to love about it. But the thing that I love most is it captures this sort of exhilaration and this feeling of flying that, it, again, I would not get in those planes. But I, it's, <laughs> when I read this book, I can understand why there's a beautiful scene early on where Maddie is flying a little puss moth, which is, you know, these tiny early airplanes – over England, sort of before the war has really come to England, and you can just feel this sense of awe as she sees the countryside unfolding before her. And there's a scene where uh, Maddie is flying a Spitfire, and so the first time that I came to the Museum of Flight, like I said, I love this book so much, I've read it a handful of times, and there's an actual Spitfire here in the collection. I was just like, I could imagine these characters that I love so much in that plane. So it's a wonderful story, and if you are interested in the French Resistance or what it was like to serve in the British Air Force, there's a lot of sort of special operations stuff. It's a fascinating book. So that's uh, Codename Verity, and the author's name is Elizabeth Ween. Well, thank you for those recommendations. Absolutely. And I've got some set in space. All right, Britta, bring um, it on. 
I grew up in Florida and had the pleasure of going to like Kennedy Space Center for field trips. There's just this feeling that going to space is like so possible when you get to like meet the people who do it and go to the facilities and they're right in your backyard. And uh, to this day, I would still love to be the first librarian in space if there's ever that job that needs to be done. <laughs> and I will definitely bring some of these books. <laughs> All of our like concepts of what space could be are often rooted in the science fiction imagination. And I love classic hard sci-fi, but increasingly I'm finding I love like softer, tender stories that are set in space. The first one, my favorite, is On a Sunbeam by Tilly Walden, which is also a graphic novel. She's so young. She's, I think, 22 now, but like very developed as an artist. And the story opens with Mia um, getting her first job out of school, and she's joining this like ragtag crew that travels across the galaxy to repair crumbling ancient ruins of space cathedrals and floating buildings. And um, it spends a lot of time in like the bunk beds with her friends and playing the sort of like amplified D and D game and like quiet moments of climbing things and breaking stuff and just kind of being like rowdy young adults. But then in flashbacks, we get to see Mia when she's at this boarding school, which is also set in space, where she fell in love with another girl named Grace. And these two stories unfold and collide in really surprising ways, culminating in this epic mission to go to another planet and sort of reunite these two people, give them a chance to say goodbye. And it's just so incredibly gorgeous, like these sweeping vistas of space. It's got a very spare color palette, but... It manages to convey so much through like both simplicity and incredible detail of all of these space structures and it never really tries to explain like how it works <laughs> and in that way it might really be more of a space fantasy or opera but um, it's very concerned with like how it feels and it's just so moving and beautiful and I would recommend it to anyone. That's so great to hear that it's so focused on the feeling and capturing that. I remember reading a quote from somebody, I don't remember who, but somebody associated with the early space program saying, uh, I wish we had sent more poets. Like the, the one regret he had was that they hadn't sent more poets and authors up, you know, because everyone was an engineer. Right. Uh, you, know, you had to be a fighter pilot, an engineer, in order to be in those early missions. And so you got a very engineer's point of view of what the moon was like. Um, and then another graphic novel I love is called Leica. Do you know who Leica is? <laughs> love Leica. I can't talk about Leica. <laughs> I know. It's so sad. It is a heartbreaking story, mm -hmm. especially if you know how it ends. But uh, the graphic novel is an all-ages graphic novel that looks at sort of the engineers and the scientists and uh, folks working around the mission that the dog was involved in as the first – is it the first creature in space? I mean, it's uh, a little No, it, but it's the first – yeah, the the first uh, uh, Earth creatures in space were fruit flies, but uh, and preceded by turtles, uh, or turtles came after that. But yeah, I want to hear first, more about these turtles. Yeah, <laughs> the first uh, mammal, I guess. Yeah. Say, yeah. <laughs> what I think the book does so well is uh, contextualize this moment in sort of like the politics and nationalism and propaganda and sort of like news interest around the space race. And it does so in a way that's like very emotionally resonant. So for anyone who's curious about that era, um, I would definitely check it out. But you might need some Kleenex. Yeah, It's really well done. And I think a, an interesting um, introduction to, like Britta said, sort of the, the nationalism and the um, politics that were happening around the space race. You know, there was a lot of pride 
both in the U.S. and uh, in the Soviet Union about trying to about being in space and trying to get in space, and uh, it provides a lot of context for that in a way that's really understandable for yeah. younger readers. There's there's so many like kind of apocryphal stories about what may or may not have been happening in Russia yeah. in terms of did they send up women like the 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 yeah. lost est cosmonaut like recordings if they're hoaxes or. Yeah. I mean, all of that is kind yeah. of mysterious. That, that's one thing that sticks out to me. You were talking about the politics of the time. Yuri Gagarin is credited as the first human in space, but the Russians were notoriously quiet about their program, and they didn't announce the success until after it happened. So when the U.S., for example, when we went to the moon, I mean, it was scheduled on TV. We knew it was going to happen. Yuri is... Ascent didn't get announced until after the fact, which does beg the question, was he the first attempt or not? Because we don't know. I mean, he could have been he could have been the first attempt. There could have been dozens. Yeah. Could have been one or two. I mean, we, we just don't know. So it's it's kind of a humbling <laughs> thought. So I'm glad that this book Leica kind of captures that a bit. Absolutely. Um, and then another book that sort of is in the talking squids in outer space realm. Uh, <laughs> I just read Vinti by Nadia Korafor, which uh, looks at the life of 16-year-old Vinti, who's just been accepted to this prestigious university, uh, many planetary systems away. Her family is not that excited about her going. Um, her people practice a kind of ancient math magic, and they make astrolabes, and she's like the best one, and they want her to stay and continue that family practice. But instead, she makes the harrowing choice to be the first of her kind to leave. And it just opens at this spaceport, which even if it is, you know, a place where people are going to take off in rocket ships, feels so much like being at SeaTac, <laughs> going through security lines. And, you know, people give her a hard time about her papers and credentials and don't understand what she's wearing and are looking at her and judging her. And, of course, someone wants to touch her hair. <laughs> These are things you cannot escape even when going into space. But um, it, it very much puts you in the perspective of a person who's marginalized and what doing something brave and new might feel like in that situation. And as she's on this journey towards her school, she gets to know her classmates. And then just as like things are starting to sort of turn a corner, everything goes wrong. <laughs> and I'm not going to give away the what and how of it. Uh, but I will say that everything that makes her different from everyone else on board is what enables her to survive. And it's only like a two and a half hour audiobook. It's a very short story, but it was riveting from start to finish, and I can't wait to get through the rest. Well, thank you both for these awesome recommendations. That is plenty to get reading as we go into the summer. And I know KCLS has a summer reading program, too. We do. So our summer reading program is called A Universe of Stories. So what it fits, a coincidence. Yeah, it fits right in with everything that's happening at the museum this summer and, you know, all year round. But it begins June 1st, and it runs through the end of August, and it's open to readers of all ages. So we do want to encourage, you know, whole families to come in and adults who don't have children and teenagers, and, you know, everybody can participate. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I guess I'll have to sign up. You should. Sure. <laughs> um, summer reading is one of the most important ways that we support education and literacy learning. So what we know about kids in particular is that if kids aren't 
actively engaged in learning over the summer, they lose some of their educational gains from the previous year, and they start the school year behind. So something that summer reading does is provide that opportunity for everybody. There's no cost. Everything is free. So we have all kinds of fun, free events and activities, and um, listeners can go to kcls.org summer to learn more about all of that. Where can our listeners find the desk set if they are so inclined? You can just type it into anywhere you get your podcast. So we're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all the usual places. And you do a new episode every month? Basically. Approximately. (laughs) I know how that goes. (laughs) You go to kcls.org backslash desk set. You can find all of our show notes. Awesome. Well, this has been absolutely delightful. Thank you both of you for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having us. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. Links to the King County Library entries for the books mentioned today will be in the show notes, but if you don't live here in King County, we'll also list the titles in the show notes so you can look them up at your own local library. You can also find a link to the desk set, the King County Library System podcast in our show notes. And as you can tell, you don't have to be a local to our library system here to enjoy their content. You can find those show notes on our website, museumofflight.org slash podcast. You can also contact the show at podcast at museumofflight.org. And until next time, this is your host, Sean Mobley, saying to everyone out there on that good earth, we'll see you out there, folks.